Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. If you will, I want to uh, ask you to take your Bibles, if you will, and open them up to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, open those Bibles up. And um, I mean, Happy New Year. Today is a new year. This last week, a lot's been going on in this last week. As you know, as a church family, thank you for your prayers and support uh, uh, for Ginger and uh, Carty and her family. And then obviously for uh, Laura and Karen and uh, just all that's happened this week. Thank you, church, for all that you've done. And I mean that sincerely. Y'all are just a beautiful faith family that loves on one another and knows how to take care of each other. <clears throat> and I say that, um, and I'm so grateful uh, as a pastor here that y'all are willing to do that and just demonstrate Christ in those moments. Uh, let me just say, Kayla just mentioned to me, just remember to pray for Miss June Fultz, if you will. She's just having a time of it this week. She was sharing she's got, she may have a little bit of pneumonia and some other stuff going on. So just pray for her. I know my deacons are in here. Some of y'all are in here. Just pray for her. Reach out to her. Uh, as well. And uh, me and this little housekeeping right here, deacons, I want to meet with you next Sunday at three o'clock next Sunday afternoon. So if you'll just gather up with me here for a time, we can gather and pray and just look at this new year together. Uh, one other thing I just want to make mention in your bulletin, hopefully you got one. Um, there is a survey at Flint Hill. If you will take a moment, I want to hear from you. And I, and I know some of you have gone to there and did that and filled that out. And I appreciate it. Just want to hear from you as a church family. Uh, but also, there's that sign-up, and I've shared this with you. I say it laughing a little bit. If you don't sign up, I'm just going to show up. I mean, that's just you know how it happens. And, uh, and some of y'all may not mind. I'll just show up whenever. It doesn't matter. Uh, although I know, I've heard some people, if you show up at the wrong time, they may not open the door. But that's okay. That'll be all right, too. Uh, but sincerely, uh, I want to come see all of you. Uh, I want to come see every single one of you as best I can, and I know I can't. it can't happen tomorrow. I get that. But take a moment, go online, and there may be... And you, Now look, there's several of you have, have contacted me personally. My, our information's on that little ch church directory. Uh, if, if there's not a time slot that's good for you, and I get that, right? Then please reach out to me in a text and say, hey, is this a better time? Or, and we'll, I've done that with a couple families already. Just kind of coordinate a visit. And, and remember, it's not a five-hour visit. We're not doing that. We're just getting together, get, meeting one another, trying to sit down just to have a moment together as a new pastor getting started in the new year uh, here in 2023. Good night. All right, so now, the title of the message this morning is called It's a New Life, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 21. And, uh, and I'm so excited, uh, in this passage of Scripture, there's really one of my favorite verses. We'll get to it in just a moment. But let, let's just hear the word of the Lord together. Beginning in verse 11, uh, the Bible, in, in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, the Bible says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, and we try to persuade men. What, what we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. And we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you the opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. And if we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. 
Uh, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So as a result of that, from now on, we don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, here's one of my favorite verses. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Exclamation point. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Thanks be to God. That's my little add-on. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen and amen. You know, I've titled uh, this message, It's a New Life, and it really is in Christ. It's a brand new life. And some of y'all might have been in Christ for a long time, but it's still a brand new life. And, and, and the scriptures are clear about that. So, so here's what I'm going to share with us today. I believe God has given us in this passage of Scripture, some, some things we can kind of glean from it. And, and I've, and I've kind of subtitled this, Seven Qualities That Reveal Our New Life in Christ. And, I, and, I, and there's seven things here. There's probably way more than that. But there's seven that I just want to make mention of. And, 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 and you can already tell in the context, we're jumping into 2 Corinthians, the church at Corinth. Paul's writing this letter under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You can already tell there's some tension in, in, in the church and so he, he, you know, he, he's trying to say, I hope, hope what I am is plain to you and plain to your conscience. And he said, uh, and, and he already gives us insight. There's some people there, unfortunately, that followed Paul around to try to discredit him. And there's already some tension going on. None of that. This isn't history on 2 Corinthians. We can do that at some later time, some other place. But in this passage, I really believe God's going to give us some clarity on what, what does it mean to have a new life in Christ? And what are those qualities that reveal my new life in Christ. My hope is that this morning, and I don't know what you think about this, my hope is that this morning is kind of like an assessment time. You know, oftentimes in the new year, I don't know why, people make resolutions, all kind of new things, whatever we're doing, and they kind of evaluate where we are. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a, that can be a good thing. It can be a frightening thing as well, and I'm not trying to frighten anybody or mess with anyone this morning. But I really want, my hope is, that as we walk through these qualities, that God would just use this and the Holy Spirit would just kind of look in our hearts and our minds and we'd just be really honest before the Lord today and say, okay, Lord, evaluate me. Because really, your opinion of yourself is okay, but it's His opinion of you. It's His thoughts about you and me personally that, that has more weight to it. And so my hope is this morning that God, by the Holy Spirit, assesses our life as we go through it. I hope so. I don't know what you were planning on this morning when you came, but that's my hope for us as we gather here this morning on January the 1st, 2023. The first thing that I want to acknowledge, the first quality that I just want to bring out here in the passage, he says it in verse 11. He says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. In other words, therefore, knowing the fear, the fear of the Lord. The first thing that I want to say, the first quality is reverence for the Lord, or reverence for God. So Paul is presenting in this text just kind of clarity on what it means to have a new life in Christ, and what does that look like. And he's kind of giving evidence out of his own testimony, his own life. But for us as Christians, we can also hold up the Word of God to us and go, okay, God, you know, evaluate our life. 
And one of the clear qualities of a Christian is reverence for the Lord. Reverence for the Lord. Uh, what does that mean? To fear God is to have reverence, awe, and respect for Him that results in what? Worship, adoration, and service. I don't know what you think about when you think about fear of the Lord. I, I mean, I know back in the day, I think Connie was telling me one time about some of the preaching years and years ago, and I don't know if you, you know, grew up here in Flint Hill or what church you might have gone to, but you know, hellfire and brimstone was every Sunday. <laughs> every Sunday, boom, boom, wearing it out. And hey, let me just say to you, it's true. If you don't know Christ, you're going to split hell wide open. I mean, that's a good, compelling reason to come to Christ. Jesus said he gave his life as a ransom for many, right? So the good news is you don't have to go there. If you, if you choose to go to hell, it's about, you've got to step over the cross to get there on your way to hell. Anyway, uh, but reverence for the Lord is way more than fearing hell. Or fearing God like you're scared to talk to Him. Or scared. In fact, the, the whole beauty of the gospel, by God's grace, we can come up into our Heavenly Father and we can literally approach Him in a very personal, intimate way. And so when we think about reverence, and I mean that's the very first thing here, a fear of the Lord, it ought to instill or stir our hearts for awestruck or respect and, 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 if, and if it's working in us, it results in what? Worship and adoration of the one true living God. Worship and adoration of the one true living God. In other words, if I am reverencing and fearing the Lord, then you know what? In, in a very simple way, I'm going to worship Him as, the, as who He really is. You know, Jesus taught us to pray. Y'all remember this? In, in Matthew uh, Gospel, He said, Hallowed be His name. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and ever much so. I mean, He is the one true living God. And He so allows me and you to come into intimacy, into that private place of worship, to call upon His name. It's a beautiful picture, an incredible thing that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Paul, Paul at the very beginning of this passage, makes it clear. One of those telltale qualities of a real Christian that reveals your Christianity that brings forth the reality of that you really know Christ is your reverence and awe and respect of the one true living God. It just comes forth out of a heart that knows grace and knows mercy and knows the, the application of forgiveness of their sin. But it doesn't just stop with worship. It, it also applies itself to service. In other words, to give my life unto the Lord, to worship the Lord. To really worship Him means I give my life in service unto the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I mean, it says very clearly, present your life as a living sacrifice. That's an Old Testament principle. The difference in the New Testament, and for me and you, is that we, you might get burned up by the presence of God, but you're not done. Isn't it? He doesn't consume you. He may fill you with His Spirit, and, and, and there may be a passion and a love that just grows and abounds in your heart, but it moves us to serve Him. If I'm really, in other words, if I'm really reverencing and fearing the Lord today, then my life ought to reflect that by me giving of myself to my Lord and my Savior wholeheartedly in service. Does that make sense? It would be kind of odd for me to say I love the Lord and worship Him, but I don't live in service unto the Lord. Is that making sense? Well, and, and, and look, I don't mean that you're called vocation and you're going to be on staff here at Flint Hill. I'm not saying that. But whatever you do, you do as unto the Lord. At your work, at home, at play, wherever you are. That means you have an awareness and a reality 
that God is ever-present, God, very God, holy God, and I want to revere Him and worship Him and respect and honor Him no matter where I go or what I do. Uh, the, the Scripture is full of this. I could go on and on, but I won't. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, the Scripture says in Proverbs 1.7. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. It's interesting how Proverbs is put together. In other words, if you want to come to know the Lord personally, it begins with reverence and respect and honor of Him and His Word. If you want to not know the Lord, then be like the fool who despises wisdom. That's the whole connotation here. Fools are those that don't know Christ. Don't be a fool, the Scripture would say to me and you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Psalm 112 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Blessed, highly favored, the man that walks in the awareness and the presence of God is one who fears Him and honors Him and respects Him and bring, brings His life before Him. Not only does He fear the Lord, but He delights in His commands. It's an incredible picture that, that one who reverences God reveres Him personally and His Word. Very practically. A.W. Tozer uh, Anyway, had written many things and several devotions, and he wrote one years ago called Astonished Reverence. And, and he's taken out of Psalm 66. He says, Come and hear all you that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. And he makes this statement. He says, In my own being, I could not exist very long as a Christian without the inner consciousness of his presence and the nearness of God. I can only keep right by keeping the fear of God on my soul and delighting in the fascinating rapture of worship. Man, he could preach, couldn't he? Bring them words together. I mean, it's good. But I mean, that's what he's saying. He says, whatever, real reverence before the Lord moves me. It motivates me to worship him. And not on Sunday. I'm talking about every day. Every day is a day to praise the Lord. And he used the word astonished reverence. May, may we never get to the point where coming and gathering together becomes just a routine and a mundane practice. Oh, I do pray. I do pray. I do pray. I hope you hear me on this one. I pray for you personally. I go through that directory and pray. I pray for you, your family, your children. I pray as we gather here almost as often as I can, most definitely during our prayer meeting on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, I pray for God to show up, God to speak to our hearts today. Today. Man, I am praying. And you can say, well, okay, Pastor, you can pray all you want. That's good. I'm praying. I'm believing God can do more than I could ever ask or imagine. I believe the windows of heaven can fall down on this place today. I'm praying for that. If it doesn't happen, doesn't mean I don't stop praying. I'm going to be like that persistent widow. I'm going to keep on. I'm going to keep on, because I know, I, listen, I'm going to be like the psalmist. I've tasted and seen the Lord. I've tasted of His goodness and His mercy. The greatest thing we need today oh, is a freshness, a renewing reverence, passion, love, worship, adoration. Go on and on with your words, as eloquent as you want. We need to be real before God, and real Christians, as Paul would say, reverence the Lord. Pure and simple. Second thing that, we're, that we see, the quality we see in the scripture is a devotion for the truth. Paul makes a statement in verse 13. He says, for if we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're out, if we're of sound mind, it is for you. Now, without going into great detail, there were false teachers that followed Paul around and some of the charges they brought against him 
And quite honestly, they called him a fool. They said he was outside his mind. That's the word there that they used. He said it. I mean, he said it here in the text. The, the framing of that word literally uh, means to stand outside of oneself or to be beside oneself. In a sense, being out of one's mind. That was the charge. And he said, look, if I'm outside of my mind, it is for God's sake. And there was this charge. Now, now, now let me be clear. Paul was passionate Passionately devoted to the truth of God's Word. Even to the point of being deemed fanatical by those that came against him. I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell you, he was footloose and faith free. I mean, man, he would preach the gospel. He was so madly in love with Jesus, they would stone him, left him for dead. What's he do? He goes back in there and starts doing it again. I mean, come on! I mean, that's some passion, isn't it? I mean, that's somebody that's like, good night, Paul. Even his friends were saying, Paul, we don't need to go back. Mm -mm, I got to go. I got to preach. I got to share the good news. I got to share the truth. Even though, even though these people were saying he was outside his mind, he was saying, look, I, I, my passion and love for the Lord and his word and his truth is what moves me. I, I want to I remind you, even in Acts 24, uh, 26, verse 24, he's standing before King Agrippa. Y'all remember this? And uh, Festus. And he's on trial. And he's having to give an account. And he's in a, in, 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 a, in a place presenting the gospel to these rulers and governors. And at one point, Festus cries out to Paul and says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your, your great learning has driven you mad. You're insane. You're acting like a fool. You're nuts. You're crazy. Now, what's interesting is Paul was not insane, obviously. But his response in verse 25, he said, he said to Festus, he goes, Look, he said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. Well, I love the way that translates, sober truth. You want to know the truth? The truth will set you free is what Paul was saying. He said, I don't care what you say about me. I don't care how crazy you think I am. I know in whom I've trusted and I believe. He was zealous, and it was for the Lord. He was a steward. He thought that he was a steward, right? God had called him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I mean, he was a very religious man, but all of a sudden on that day, on that, day, on that road to Damascus, what did he do? He comes face to face with the, with the true and living God, changed his life, changed his world. In that moment, he couldn't help but to preach the truth with passion and conviction. He understood that God is only honored when his word is proclaimed so passionately. He had to preach. He had to declare this word, this truth. They needed to hear it. He wanted them so desperately to believe it. Paul was passionate. He had a great desire for the truth. And we see that as a quality. As I go through these, I, I just hope you... Anyway, let me just move on. Number three. Gratitude to the Savior. Verse 14, he makes this statement. He says, for the love of Christ. I love that. The love of Christ controls us or compels us to do what we do. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. Paul's love for the Lord and his gratitude for the Savior moved him to do what he did. And it's seen very clearly in this text. His love for the Christians in Corinth, his love for the gospel, his love for the truth. And, and, he, and, and it's not so much his love for the Lord, but he's overwhelmed with God's love, Christ's love for him. And, and, and in the context here, he's saying it's Christ's love that compels me, his love for me. And let, let me just stop right here. If you've been with me on Wednesday night, we'll pick that up this Wednesday. 
Worship on Wednesdays. If, you're, if you've been with me, we've been in Ephesians. In that third chapter, that last prayer, talks about me and you praying for us personally, for our families, for one another, that we be rooted and established in this love of God that surpasses knowledge. My simple way of saying that love that blows our mind. It is really amazing how much God loves me and you. It's not just a fun, you know, simple, fun little children's song. It is incredible, and it's real, and it's true. And Paul was overwhelmed with gratitude for his love, for God's love for him. In fact, it moved him. This free, unmerited love controlled and drove him to do what he did. Now, now even, now look, he had a love for the Lord that drove him to preach the gospel, and he wanted people to come to faith in Christ. And the gratitude for his Savior was so expressed in Romans 8.35. He said, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, difficulties, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No. He said, in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. He goes on to say that nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Over and over again, we see that Paul's gratitude for a Savior compelled him to keep on keeping on. Not only that, but it was his desire for righteousness. Look in verse 15 with me. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And very clearly here, Paul had a desire for righteousness. In other words, right living. In other words, yes, God changed me, but now I want to live my life in a way that's honorable unto the Lord. The reason why Christ died for all was that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. This is a marvelous, marvelous miracle of salvation. Not only are we included in his death, please hear me, church. I'm talking about Christ's death. We are included in that. He died in our place, but he rose again on the third day. Amen? I mean, I, I mean, I mean we celebrate that, don't we? The resurrection of Jesus. Not just once a year, I hope. But we're identified with the new resurrection. In other words, me and you, as we come to know Christ, the Bible says we now have been buried with Christ through baptism. So that Christ was raised through the dead through the glory of the Father. So we too might live a new life. It's a new life in Christ. Along with that new life comes new desires and a new heart and a new passion. And one of those is to live not to myself, but unto my Lord who died and rose again. Right living. That's, what, that's literally righteousness defined. Right living. Paul goes on to say in Galatians 2, I died to the law. I died to the rules that held me in bondage so that I might live unto God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life in which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He was passionate. He had a great desire for righteousness and right living that honored the Lord. That, in other words, revealed his commitment and love for the Lord. Does that make sense? So what came out of him reflected what was in him in Christ. Again, the desire for righteousness. You know, let me remind you, my Lord, our Lord and Savior, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Not only that, not only did he have a desire for righteousness, but he also, the fifth thing is he had a burden for the lost. In verses 16 and 17, he makes this statement. He says, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh in this way. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. And here's my, one of my favorite verses. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. 
Old things passed away. Behold, all things have come new. And so, so what do we see real clearly here is Paul's burden for the lost. In other words, the reality of Paul's life in Christ, the quality that comes out so vividly in so many places is this passion and burden for people to be saved, to turn from darkness into light. I mean, he already told them. He already, he already told the Corinthian church in the first Corinthians chapter 117 that he was, that it was his mission to preach the gospel. Later on in, in chapter 9, verse 16, he says, I'm under compulsion. He says, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. I've got to preach the gospel. It's as if when I begin to open my mouth, I can't help but to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But Paul was passionate about this. You can only imagine. I mean, now look, I know Paul's Paul, and you're you, and I'm me, and I get that. And, but here's the deal. We need, we all, all as Christians should have a burden for the lost. Our own family, our friends, our co-workers, our acquaintances, we ought to all have a burden for those that don't know Christ. Friend, this is a high calling in Jesus' name. And let me, remind, let me remind us, Mark chapter 10, Jesus himself says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So clearly our Lord came and died and rose again. He was on purpose. His plan was to redeem a lost souls, me and you. And as a Christian on this side of the cross... That burden of, of, of being used by God to share the gospel with others. That burden to pray for those that are lost. That burden to, to look around me today and go, you know what? There's people that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. How do I do that? How can I share the gospel with those around me? Paul was passionate. He said, I don't look at anybody from the flesh anymore. In fact, what does he mean by that? I mean, you've got to understand where Paul came from. Very religious, very Hebrew, very Jewish in that sense. But he said, no longer do I evaluate the people around me based on external worldly standards. Mm -mm. Now, you got to remember, he was a proud Pharisee. He would have scorned the Gentiles. He would have looked down upon those, even Jewish people outside of his group. All of that prejudice, all of that way of looking at people gave way mm, when Jesus stepped into his heart and his life on that road. No longer did he see people by the outward appearance, but no, no, no. He looked at everyone, and he would be able to say, you know what, I don't care if you're a Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. All, all need Christ Jesus. And he would do anything and everything he could to share the gospel with any of them. Number six is this. He had a passion for ministry, and we see this coming out in verses 18 through 20. It's really on the heels of the burden for the lost. He says, all this is from God and reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He goes on to say that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He had a passion for ministry. One of the qualities of a Christian, someone who's born again, is their love for ministry, the opportunity to serve others, to serve the church and the fellowship or other people or in the community. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, or what you do. All of us, I'm about to lose my headdress, all of us have been called to ministry. Some of us may be vocational ministers. I get that. Full-time vocational pastor. I get that. 
All of us have been called to ministry. In other words, all of us, by God, have been given a ministry to serve. How do I know that? Because God, when he set us apart, he didn't just leave us out there, but he filled us with the Holy Spirit of God, and now he's commissioned every one of us to go in his name and what baptized, sharing the truth of his word, leading people to help them grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what we do, where we are, God's called all of us to ministry. We have a place to serve. I'll say it this way for anyone here today, and you haven't discovered that place, you need to seek the Lord. There's a place here. There's places at Flint Hill, opportunities to serve in so many different ways, to step forward. It could be in children's or students or adult ministries or start new life groups. Who knows? Men need to step it up a little bit. The ladies have already done the life group on Tuesday and Sundays. Y'all with me? There's opportunities for us to serve in so many different ways. There's community around us that want to see Jesus. How do we do that? It's real simple. Walk across the needs that God presents before you and share the good news of Jesus Christ. The passion for ministry. Make no mistake, it's a quality. Five times in these three little verses, he brings this out. What has he given us in this ministry? The message of reconciliation. The good news, the good news is this holy God has now made a way for us to be made right with Him, and He's blessed us with the opportunity to share this message with those around us. What a glorious opportunity. In fact, I would say to us, it's a high calling and a noble privilege of preaching the message of reconciliation. It is the most important thing we can do. No matter what we do, where we go, we need to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You can know God personally. You can know His forgiveness. You can be cleansed. And you can be set free, and you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the same and share the gospel with those around us. No matter what we do, we ought to be about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I hope you hear me, church. Because, I mean, unfortunately, in the 21st century, some some churches have regulated evangelism and sharing the gospel with something that only a couple people do, and we've kind of leaved it off on the side somewhere. But, friend, if we're not sharing the gospel... Something's wrong. And I'm talking about me and you. I'm talking about J.J. Let me get personal with J.J. J.J. needs to be sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with those around me, with my family, with my friends. I need to be intentional to pray for those that are lost. That's the connection here, burden for the lost and a passion for ministry. God allows us to walk across bridges all the time to meet people. And when we meet them, we ought to be telling them the good news of Jesus Christ, how you can know him personally and be forgiven of sin. All right, the last thing here, number seven, is integrity of life. We see this, and honestly, I saved this for the last because it wraps all of this together. In the, in the verses, uh, in, in the very beginning of this chapter, uh, of this section, in verse 11, he says, Since then we know what it is to fear God, we try to persuade men. Here, here's the thing, the phrase, what we are is plain to God. Well, if I can just rest there for a moment. I am so thankful that we're here, we're gathered here today, that you're here today in the presence of the Lord. Church, please hear me. What we are, what you are, is plain to God. You can't hide. You can't cover it up. You, there, there's not enough makeup you can put on to cover it up. It ain't going to happen. What you are is plain to God. What Paul is saying is what I am is plain to God, plain to him. Very clearly, he's being very open and transparent. But then he says... And I hope it's also plain to your conscience as well. Paul was committed to having integrity for uh, his life and ministry. That word integrity means this. 
can be defined as a quality or of being undivided. It describes a person who adheres to their ethical or moral standards without hypocrisy or duplicity. People with integrity lead lives that are one with their stated convictions. Here it is. They practice what they preach. They're the same no matter where they are, what they're doing. They're the same person. You love Jesus on Sunday, you ought to love Jesus on Monday. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are, where, you, where you're doing, the evidence ought to be the same. Paul's saying, I want to be above reproach. I want to be committed to being plain before God and plain before you. And in holy reverence, he's saying, I'm just open to God, and it's plain to Him who I am, my sincerity, my honesty, and I want it to be the same to you. So I've, I've shared these seven qualities here. And um, Gavin, I'm going to ask you to come. Can you come with me this time? And, uh, and, I, and I had these seven qualities here. Come on up, Michael. There you go. There you go. Worship team. And, uh, and, I, and I just want to rest here just for a moment. And I want to remind us what the Scripture says, what Paul says. He says, what we are is plain to God, and I hope also is plain to you and your conscience. Paul was committed to being honest in, in a person of integrity before the people that he served, before his fellow believers there in Corinth. And I would submit to you that integrity, being, you know, practicing what we preach, being the same all the time is what binds all these other things together. You can have wonderful qualities, but if you miss this, and you're, and, 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 in other words, you say one thing on one day and a different thing on the other day, and there's duplicity in your world, your life, it just negates everything that you do unto the Lord. So my hope, I mean, I'm, I'm, this is JJ. My hope is that right now, right here in this response time, that we will sincerely take a moment and, and ask the Lord, ask the Lord to just search our hearts and our minds. I know we're moving into 2023 and I get that. But I, I just want to take a moment and just say, Lord, search me and know my heart. God, if there's any offensive thing inside of me, if there's any issue in my heart, if, if, I, if I'm not the same, if there's some error, if there's some mess up on inside of me, God, cleanse me, forgive me. Restore unto me, as David would say, the joy of my salvation, that I would be real and sincere. You know, every time I share the Word of God, I really believe God has a way through the Holy Spirit of penetrating our hearts. He's certainly been wearing me out. I don't know about you. That's the joy of preaching and, and taking time to spend before the Lord and His Word. But I, I, it's not just me. My, my prayer this morning is that God would get hold of us. That we would allow these qualities to just kind of, may the Holy Spirit of God just search our hearts today and where we are. Here's what I'm going to say to us. I'm going to remind us. Henry Blackaby does this very well in a little devotion. As I've shared this morning briefly, if there's areas of your life, whatever it may be, and you're like, man, I've really messed up, I've done wrong, man, I need to do better, whatever the, whatever the response is, let me remind you, you're not alone, I'm not alone, I'll be in that boat with you. Let me remind us of Peter, y'all remember Peter? Bless his heart. He forsook the Lord on the night that he was taken captive, turned away, denied him several times, ran away. I can only imagine in that moment in Peter's life that he probably at some point felt, you know, 
I'm not even, I'm not even worthy of being a follower of Christ. I've messed up miserably. I can only imagine that on that day on that seashore. I can just imagine if I was there. Peter's out there fishing. I mean, his brain, that's what he, knew, that's what he did. That's what he knew to do. And there's Jesus on the, sea, on the seashore. And he calls to him and he asks him to come in. And at some point, they recognize who it is. And man, Peter, I can only imagine, is overwhelmed, overwhelmed, overwhelmed with all his failings and all the things he's done wrong and all this other stuff. And I love that Jesus really doesn't deal with any of that. He doesn't. Y'all know this. He turns to Peter and says to him, real simply, he said, do you, do you love me? What I love about my Lord and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is when we mess up, he doesn't rub our face in it and say, oh, you need to waller in it. Not at all, church. In fact, he gently, as only he can, he calls us to remember and to renew our love relationship with Him. By grace, through faith, we're even saved in the first place. It's His love relationship. So on the banks on that day in Peter's life, with all the things going on, all he does is affirm his love for Peter and Peter's love for him. So in this moment right now, can we just bow our heads for a moment? Father, we come before you right now in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And God, I, I, I do pray. I pray, holy God, that you would just refine our hearts today. Allow your word to sink into our hearts. But God, would you bring us to a place where we would affirm and be reminded of how much you love us and how much we love you, Father. God, that your love... Your love surpasses knowledge. Your love covers a multitude of sin. I'm so grateful, Lord Jesus, holy God, that you're a God of love. Overwhelm us with your goodness and your mercy and your steadfast love that endures forever, Lord Jesus. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with me, church, this morning. We're going to take a moment and respond this morning. This altar's open. If you need to come to the altar, whatever you need to do this morning, be faithful unto the Lord to do that.